a fly also exists. This is a, a line that stuck with me since I was in college. Uh, read a novel, not a great big reader, called The Chosen, not the TV series, but another book by somebody whose name that I would pronounce wrong, so I'm not going to try. But it's, it's a great book, and I, I just wondered as I thought about that in light of this week, do you ever feel like you merely exist? Do you ever feel like you're just, you're just a, a, a thing, like a fly? Do you, ever, do you ever feel like that maybe not only as an individual in your life, but communally, as a church, as a, as a fight club, maybe as a missional community, where you just, you just kind of think, are, are we just like existing? I know the children are in here this week, and so we could go in another direction than the, the literature direction. We could go the Frozen 2 direction. So I, I'm not going to sing the song that's... Sven sings, but maybe you feel like you're lost in the woods. North is south, right is left. Maybe that's how would you describe your life. Maybe, maybe a relationship like with Sven has become complicated or ended. Or maybe it's your job. Maybe it's, maybe it's the season of life you're at in school. Maybe you're about to graduate. Maybe some big change has happened and you just don't know who you are. And so you begin to get in this mindset of thinking, why, why do I exist? Why am I here? You feel lost in yourself, lost in school, lost in church, lost in missional community, lost just in general. And you're thinking, as the Father says in that novel, merely to live, to exist, what sense is there in that? A fly also lives. If you're not there today, I would, I would venture to say you, you've been there or you will be there at some point in your life. But the good news is that God does not want to leave us directionless. He doesn't want to leave us aimless. He doesn't want us living in this north is south, right is left. I don't know up from down. I don't know which direction I'm going. We are going to feel like that in our lives. That's part of the human predicament in a fallen world. But God has some some callings in our life, some center points that can help us know who we are, why we exist, and what it means to live a life that matters and that is full of meaning both individually and communally as His people. And we talk about these three callings as the great mandate, the great command, and the great commission. We're going to look at these today because to know why we exist... We have to orient our lives around these three callings at the core of our being as individuals and as God's people. So the first thing we do is we've got to orient our lives around this great mandate. This is what we see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Really the whole first two chapters of Genesis. This is reiterated throughout the scriptures. Some of you may know it by the name of the cultural mandate. But we wanted there to be three greats, right? Great commission, great command, great mandate. And so we're calling it the great mandate instead of the cultural mandate. But that's the, the fancy language for it. And, and what it means is that we are called to see ourselves, as verse 26 and 27 says, as being created in the image of God. Last time we talked about the indicative and the imperative, that the indicative being the mood of reality. Like this just is what it is. Whether you do anything or not, this is who you are. 
So to understand your meaning that's rooted in this great mandate is to know that you have been created in the image of God. When you wake up in the morning, just like when you were conceived in your mother's womb, you receive the image of God and you live in the image of God. You matter. You have meaning. You are no mere fly. And out of that indicative reality, that objective reality that does not change and cannot change, we live. And we live as signs of God's presence in this world. That's what an image would be. In the ancient Near East and these earlier times, great kings would put statues in areas that they had dominion or rule And these statues would be images of them. And so everybody would look and say, oh, I know who the God is here. Or I know who the king is here. And in many places, these these human kings would see themselves only as the image of God. But God is doing something radically different here. And he's telling us that we are those images. That everywhere we go, we are a sign that there is a God. We are a sign that this world is not just some mere random set of coincidences. We can talk a lot about the function of the image of God and our rule and our relationship and our rationality, but the bedrock of it, just your very existence, is called to be a sign of the power and the presence of God. And we display that then, as verse 28 tells us of Genesis chapter 1, through this call to exercise dominion over all the earth. Now we know the story starts here in Eden, but from the very beginning of the story, it was a story of the expansion of the kingdom of God, the presence of God, to the ends of the earth. It's going to be very important as we go through these three different greats. The great mandate, or the cultural mandate, really is the first great commission. It's a call to go and to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth with all of these people who are signs of the presence and the power, the goodness, of the creativity, of the greatness of God. So verse 28 says that God blessed them. He speaks a blessing over them. Go, represent me, image me. If if it helps you as an image to think in terms of a mirror, go and reflect me. You have been created to reflect me. And guess where you're called to reflect me? All of life. This is very, very important that we see this and we orient our lives and our life together as a church around this great mandate. This is not go and reflect me through leading Bible studies. Go and reflect me by being a ministry major. I was that, so nothing against our ministry majors, right? Go and reflect me on Sundays. Go and reflect me in family meals or fight clubs. No, this is go and reflect me in all of life. Every vocation, every work, every job is mission. That's what the great mandate is saying. Every job, every vocation is ministry. You have been blessed by God, right? Like this, this is the original ordination of all people. He has knighted you, as it were, to go out into the world and be a nurse, be a mechanic, be a technician, be a teacher, be a construction person, be a HVAC worker, be a salesman. 
And do that as a reflection of me. Do it well. And He's created the world with all this untapped potential and He wants us to go and mine it and to manage it and to make things out of it for His glory. That's why Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch in all of the cosmos over which Jesus does not declare mine. And He sends us out into the world to do this. Everything matters. Everyone matters. Everyone is on mission. And everything is mission. I remember in high school when I was getting serious as being a disciple, there was an older man that I looked up to in the church that had a a great role of leadership. And, And man, he was always dressed great. He was always active. He was always serving. He was saying all the right things, teaching and leading. And then I remember one day, and this, this happens when you're growing up, sadly, overhearing some other people in the church. I wasn't eavesdropping, but I was in earshot talking about how in this person's workplace, how they just told all these dirty jokes, how they were dishonest. And, and it was just like, you know, as a kid, right, when you're especially got your sniffer out for hypocrisy even stronger, it just like, it just like wrecked me. Because it was in that season of my life when I was getting real serious about my discipleship, I just was really becoming aware of how so many people in the church compartmentalize their lives. There's certain spheres where I'm a Christian, and then there's certain spheres where we just got to be real, right? There's certain spheres where I'm a disciple, and there's certain spheres where I just got to do what I got to do. Uh, we've, we've been taken in by this myth that started philosophically a long time ago of the division of the sacred and the secular. And as a church from the very start, rooted in the great, the great mandate, is we wanted to say we see no division in the Scripture between the sacred and the secular. All of creation from the beginning was meant to be a place where people enjoyed and loved and worshipped and reflected God. We must resist the compartmentalization of life if we want to experience the meaning that all of life brings. So we're a church that will talk a lot in our missional communities about how we want to have a a common mission that we rally together around so that our unity is not, not just found in looking at each other, but in looking out to what God is calling us to. But as we do that, we in no way ever, ever want it to be insinuated, implied, or taken in that there is a belittling of what we call our everyday mission. We all in here spend most of the hours of our life at work or at school or at home or in our neighborhood or looking at some kind of screen probably. Right? Let's just be, that's where we spend most of our lives. If we're a church that wants to be serious about discipleship, then we've got to continue to say, we're serious about most of that time. right? This isn't just mainly about rallying people together to do some things for a few hours a week and saying we're all about discipleship. No, we've got to learn how to see ourselves as those who go to work, to worship. And we never in any way want to say, hey, don't worry about that. Worry about this. 
No, your work matters. Everyone in here should take some time, if you've not ever taken the time, to set aside before the Lord and say, how has the Lord blessed me to go into this workplace and reflect and represent His glory and to exercise dominion in this little sphere that He's given me? No matter how insignificant the world might see that as, He does not see that as insignificant. And at home, Right? This is, this is an, another space. You're spending a lot of time. We shouldn't put more intentionality into knowing maybe the people in our fight club than we know in the people that we live with. We should know our roommates, our sweet mates, our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents. We should be intentional about that. Sometimes we are so busy asking the question, who is God sending us to, that we've not stopped to ask the question, who has God already sent me to? Or who has God sent to me? And then our jobs. As Christians, we shouldn't be those who are merely working for the weekend. Although we all feel like that sometimes. No guilt there. But we should, with the best of our ability, say, how can I do my work well? Because God wants me to steward this for our glory. How can I do my work as worship? How can this be a response to God's creative worth, worth in my life? I've said this before, but I love, you know, we've got to get creative about this. Somebody wrote about a janitor, and in his discipleship process, he, he had to get his mind around the fact that every day he was engaging in microbacterial warfare. Right? So you could just say, all I do is mop and spray and wipe off germs. Or you could say, for the glory of God, I engage in microbacterial warfare to keep a place clean so that people stay healthy, so that they might live more full lives. Do we see how meaningful our work is as an image bearer of God under this great mandate? our neighbors, and we'd have to say something as well about our entertainment, our screens, our phones. You might not want to do it, but if you want to exercise in humility, I can show you how to look on your phone and it'll tell you all the hours you spent on it this week and how you spend it your time, right? I don't know why Apple does that, but I guess they're like, nobody cares anyway, so we can put that feature on there. It's on there, right? And just just say, hey, is this is this an... A good use. Is this the most redeeming use of all the meaning that God has given me in my life? Is the way I use this time, probably a very significant amount of your time every week, is that actually growing me as a disciple? I've got to say this, this, this quickly before we move on. And this may be like, feel like more insider language to some of us here. But a lot of times what we also think when we, to the emphasis of this everyday mission that we talk about where all of life is mission is sometimes we can feel this tension when it comes to the common mission that we share in missional community. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to see these things as competition, but we can see them as complementing one another. That's actually the whole point. And maybe somewhere we lost that along the way. But in the lives that our missional communities live, in the family meals that they partake of, these things are not ends in of themselves, but they're opportunities to be trained to grow more deeply as disciples in our everyday lives. 
You could think of these times that we spend together as like lab time. All right, so you're like, man, I really don't, I'm really not good at talking to people at work, sparking up conversation. Wouldn't it be great if I had a space where there wasn't a lot of pressure that I could practice small talk? Ding, 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 family meal, right? I'm not really good at sharing the gospel with unbelievers. Wouldn't it be great if there was a space where there's some believers that we've all kind of agreed that we can step over the threshold of awkward and and speak the gospel into each other's lives? Yes, we have that space. I really really don't know how to, to, to connect or disciple my children or my family to the things of God. Hey, what... What if five to ten minutes before a family meal or five to ten minutes after, we just stopped and said, hey guys, let's all remember this is why we're going to do this and pray that this time would be meaningful for each of us and then afterwards ask a question, how was that for you? You're like, well, that sounds like a lot of work. If we want to grow as disciples, we're going to have to have some intentionality around these things. But these spaces aren't competing, right? As our phone log time will tell us, right? We've got the time. It's just, are we bringing the great mandate into that? Some of your coworkers, right, might not ever want to come set foot in here, but they might actually come to one of your family meals or a missional community hangout. Or vice versa. Somebody you go and connect with through a missional community connection or a family meal might meet somebody else in your missional community who's a Christian who has similar everyday common or hobby interests. We could do this all day long. But I have to say, the, these, the everyday mission we live on is so important. But the common missions that we share in missional communities, when they're properly viewed, enhance that and give opportunity to express it more fully and connect and be trained and discipled. But it will not happen if we don't see all of life as mission. Quickly, we go to the next one. So we orient our lives around the great mandate, right? So if you get lost in the woods, right? Summary statement, lost in the woods with Sven, great mandate, right? You moms who are picking up the same toys over and over again all day long, and you're thinking, is this my existence? Yes, the great mandate. God is with you, right? That matters. He sees it. He loves you. That teacher, that you as a student who are just test after test, paper after paper, yes, steward it for the glory of God. Could say so much more about that. Next, we must orient our lives not only around the great mandate when we get lost, but around the great command. So Matthew chapter 22, we see this here. They're testing Jesus. This happens in the other Gospels as well. There's lots of debates around the law and the structures. And so this lawyer comes up to Jesus in Matthew 22, and he's like, all right, what's the heart of it all? Okay, so we could do that in our church too. All right, fight clubs, missional communities, this structure, this structure. If you're not connected with any of those, just think of, of all the things in your life, like this command that Jesus gives, this command. All right, I'm getting confused. What's the point? Can you just tell me what's the point? And Jesus is like, yes, I will tell you the point. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
I've read so many books and listened to so many talks on the cultural mandate and how to engage the world of vocation and the arts and all that, and you're just like, okay, this is great. That's super overwhelming, though, right? All of creation, Jesus says, is mine. I'm just overwhelmed. You know, I'm definitely going back to YouTube right now to numb myself because I just don't feel like I can do that. Okay, Jesus says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love God and love your neighbor. If you love God and love your neighbor as yourself, wherever you go, then guess what? You're going to do this. You're going to fulfill this. But what that means is that wherever you go in all of life, you're going to have to go with the intention like, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. You see God as the great creator who gives us his image and you see others as image bearers. And everything, Jesus says in verse 40, depends on this. And as Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 13, without this, nothing else matters. So you can go do your microbacterial warfare and be the greatest janitor in the history of the world, be the greatest nurse, greatest teacher, greatest mechanic, whatever it is. But if you do it without love for God and love for neighbor, it's empty. This is very important. This summer I was convicted on that. I was, I was on one of my little prayer walks and, and I remember I was, I was just enjoying all of this time alone. Nothing wrong with being alone. We talk about that all the time. Jesus retreated to be alone. And I was particularly thinking about being alone in the mountains. Love, love being there, right? That would be my place. And I was coming across these train tracks near the neighborhood, crossing, crossing the train tracks, and, and this, this little family came walking by. And, and don't, don't think I'm crazy, but I sensed the Spirit, or maybe it was just my own mind, saying, those are my mountains. Those are my mountains. It's great to love the mountains. The mountains are not the image of God. Your neighbor is. Your neighbor is. God loves the mountains. But guess what he loves more? You. We can go to work and do all the things really well. We can do church really well. Right? Show up at all the stuff organize the things, have the plan. But it's the people whom God's called us to love. In our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our entertainment engagements. Are we bringing the love of God and neighbor to that? Sometimes we get, we get lost on the mission. And Jesus is saying, hey, when you get lost in the woods, remember... Love God and love others as yourself. Now that's where it gets hard, isn't it? Think of all the ways you organize your life to make sure yourself gets taken care of. And Jesus says, as the kids say these days, bring that same energy right to your neighbor. Oh man, i got to get my, all my week organized so that I can go do this thing, right? Bring that same energy to loving your neighbor. 
Oh, I've got to make sure my finances are in order here for me to be able to do this thing. I've got to make sure that my schedule's in order so that I get to do this thing. Jesus said, all right, that's great. Now bring that same energy to loving your neighbor. And if, I, if, I, if I'm the only one that's convicted by that, I definitely am. I don't even know what that means, to be honest with y'all. I just know that's what the Bible says, right? And Jesus says, in that, you will fulfill all the law and the prophets, which means you will find yourself living an abundant and full life that's, prop that's going to give you greater joy than a life that just loves others when it's convenient and loves yourself as your greatest conviction. So when this comes to missional community life, you, might, you, you do not have to have your missional community. We need good leadership, but you do not have to have your leaders say, what are we doing? or it's not worth it. Here's what you're doing. You're going to love God and love that person that's near you. And it's going to be worth it if you just do that every time. Meaning to the mission is loving your neighbor as yourself out of the overflow of God's love for you and you for him. And that's what we want to multiply. That's what we're talking about. Multiplying tables like that all through this city where people are going to come in a self-focused, self-centered world and say, wow, we've reoriented our schedules and our priorities to be at this place to actually love people enough to listen to them and to learn what it means to grow together as disciples. It's no surprise then that Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples by the love you show one another. This is his grand apologetic for the gospel, that we as God's people would love one another before a watching world and invite them into that love in the stuff of everyday life. And as we do that together then we build the muscles to go do that in our everyday lives more strongly. We practice compassion together so that we might go live compassion in the everyday. We use our gifts together so that we might not go, so that we can go use our gifts in the everyday stuff of life. You think about these spiritual gifts, we don't receive these spiritual gifts so that we can use them here for a couple hours a week or in your family meal but we use them here that they might go stronger than we might bring them into the world. And so lastly, not just the great mandate and the great command, but lastly, the great commission. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We'll go over this in more detail in weeks to come when we get to our disciple identity, but we've got to orient our lives around this. And guess what? If we orient our lives around the great mandate and the great command, we find ourselves in a very good position to do the Great Commission. Jesus says, therefore, go therefore, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey or practice all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Unlike the first Adam who, who marred the image of God by choosing to follow his own vision for life, the true and better Adam, Jesus, comes to restore the image of God to all of us. To show it was what it means to really live the full human life we were given. And he has the authority to do that. 
to renew, to restore, to recreate even as it were. And because of this authority that he has, it's the crucified and risen King of kings and Lord of lords who has paid the penalty for sin, who has risen to give us freedom from the curse of death. We are then called to be his disciples. So if you feel lost in life, it's not just this great mandate, it's not just this great command, it's, it's ultimately this great commission to be an apprentice of Jesus. All right, that's, that's the great language for discipleship many people have used in the history of church. I'm going to be an apprentice of Jesus. Now guess what Jesus was for 30 years, well not for the whole 30 years, but before Jesus' public ministry, he was a carpenter. He was a stonemason maybe, whichever way you want to go with it. Have you ever sat back and thought, I wonder what kind of carpenter he was? If you're a carpenter, that's the kind of carpenter you want to be, right? You're being an apprentice of him. If you're a mechanic, you think, if Jesus was a mechanic, I wonder what kind of mechanic he would be. If Jesus was a nurse, I wonder what kind of nurse he would be. If Jesus was an administrator, I wonder what kind he would be. And we live our lives like that. If Jesus, if Jesus was in Family Mill, I wonder what he'd be doing right now. You might be like, yeah, well, you know, I can't turn water into wine because that's definitely what I'd be doing right now, some of you. But anyway, uh, so, you, so you ask the question, not just what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus do if he were me? And that's, that's really the whole program that we're after as followers of Jesus and as Matthew's Table Church. Well, how can we do what Jesus would do, or what, how can we do what Jesus would do with us if he were here in 21st century Cleveland, Tennessee? How can we be taught by him? How can we see people baptized in the Trinitarian identity of Father, Son, and Spirit? How can we observe these things. It's so, it's so interesting here. It's not teach them to know, it's teach them to observe. Uh, churches have historically, at least in our Western context, been really good at teaching people to know all that Jesus commanded, but maybe not as good as creating spaces where people can learn to do what Jesus commanded. So if all these one another's are commanded in Scripture, what are we going to learn to do them? You know, we even have these plans created in our church, if you don't know, that's like how all of the commands of Jesus. Well, it's good to know these things, but when are we going to like do them? So we think of discipleship in our church like learning to ride a bike. So I don't know, maybe somebody would call my bluff. How many of us learn to ride a bike by reading a book? How many of us learn to ride a bike by watching a YouTube tutorial? Now, it helps, right? We need some instruction. These are pedals. These are tires. Watch somebody do it. But you got to get on there and fall down, don't you? And this is why the, the Great Commission is so important in the context that it's understood is we've got to create spaces to fall down together. We've got to create spaces like we seek to do to go out together and to love one another. As we do this, what we find is our own hearts are shaped. That 
as we seek to make disciples, we find ourselves being the ones most discipled. But the good news is, is that however many times we fall, we're reminded by the great mandate that we still matter. And we're reminded by the great commission, by the great command that we're still loved. Because we are not flies, but we are followers of Jesus made in the image of God who are giving these three callings to orient our lives so that we stay committed to His mission. Father, we thank You for the good news that You give us. We pray today that You would help us to live into these three callings when we feel lost, to be reminded of these things. And if we're not yet convinced, as we take this bread and cup now, might it be the reminder of how much You loved us. May it be the reminder that we are more loved than we could imagine. May we take and eat that joy in Jesus' name. Amen.